Our scripture readings this morning will come from Philippians 2, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 11, and the book of Daniel, chapter 3, verses 4 through 3. Our text this morning will be from Daniel 3, verses 19 through 30. So we'll start this morning in Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in a human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we will now turn to Daniel chapter 3. And we'll read the entirety of Daniel chapter 3 through to chapter 4, verse 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, And the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, and the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. 
You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you appointed over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered the king and said, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace, he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of the fire come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command 
and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, language, that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seems good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs! How mighty his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. May God add blessing to his holy and inerrant word. It's been a few months. I believe it was still 2019 when I was here. And we spoke on the first half of Daniel 3. So today we're going to pick up the text of Daniel 3 from where we left off last time. The last time we looked at the first 23 verses of Daniel 3. For those who are not here, and it's also been a long time, I'll briefly go over what we went over in the last sermon. We learned that King Nebuchadnezzar, the powerful king of Babylon, commissioned a 90-foot-tall by 9-foot-wide golden idol to be erected on the plains of Dura. It was decreed by King Nebuchadnezzar that when the music was broadcast throughout the region, that everyone must bow down and worship this God the king has erected. We learn that these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stood firm in their faith and boldly stood up to the king and told him that they must not bow down to this false idol and that they could only worship the one true living God. The main thrust of the last sermon was that we must be in the scriptures and in prayer to ask God to increase our faith so that we may obey God in our everyday lives now as preparation if we are called to make the ultimate sacrifice for our king and for his glory. I also mentioned at the end of the last sermon that, our, that this faith is not just for faith's sake, but it's for the glory of God. We ended just as these three men were cast into the fiery furnace. This is where we will pick up the story Today, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are marching towards the furnace. A furnace that by the king's command is seven times hotter than normal because he was so upset with these men's refusal to bow down to the idol. Today, as we look at this passage, I want you to be thinking about the glory of God. The second half of this text puts front and center the idea of God's glory. I don't know about you, but I know for myself that I don't take as much time as I should just to contemplate God's glory. I think as Christians, we oftentimes get lost in our doctrine or our saving relationship with Christ that we fail just to marvel at his glory. If we think about it, this is why man was made, to worship and to glorify God. I just wanted to read to you a short quote 
from John Owen. And this is from his book, The Glory of Christ. And just to show you how John Owen, as he pens this work, how he's struck by, just stricken by the glory of God. And I quote, It is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we're spiritually edified and built up in this world. For as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grow stronger and stronger. It is by faith and powerful love which gives us rest, peace, and satisfaction. We must seek them by diligently beholding the glory of Christ by faith. In this duty, I desire to live and die. On Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will be more and more crucified to this world. It will become to me like something dead and putrid, impossible for me to enjoy. End quote. Israel has forgotten this. In their sinful nature, they have followed their idolatrous hearts. And God has punished them for this idolatry, for failing to glorify God. However, God must be glorified. And God's glory is the central theme to today's message. God's glory is the thread that runs through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God's glory and our responsibility to glorify God was considered so important by those writing the Westminster Confession that it is dealt with in the very first question and answer of the Shorter Catechism, which reads, what is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Glorifying God is our chief end. It is our number one task. However, it is something that we struggle to do, isn't it? We have the propensity to worship and glorify ourselves, don't we? Uh, And if we don't have a self-love for ourselves, we sometimes put other people in that place. There's movie stars, hockey players, other sports stars, our spouses, our children. This list is as long as there are people On earth. My aim with you today is to demonstrate that God is jealous for his glory and will not share it with any other, not with a golden idol and not with Nebuchadnezzar. We will see today that every knee will bow to Jesus, but not all will in this life. I'll be looking at this passage in three points this morning. The first, astonishment. The second is acknowledgement. And the third is adoration or worship. So again, verses 24 through 25 is astonishment. Verses 26 through 27, acknowledgement. And 28 through 30, adoration. So to begin, let us look at verses 24 and 25, which says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? 
They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Astonished. I think this might be an understated word. The king ordered his men to make that furnace seven times hotter than normal. Just as an aside here, we must remember that the book of Daniel is an apocalyptic book, so that the furnace was probably not seven times hotter. The number seven in apocalyptic genre means perfection. But regardless, it was much, much hotter than it would normally be. His best men died while bringing these men to the furnace because it was so hot. We're also told that these three men were bound and fully clothed, and yet in the midst of this fire were four men walking around, and one looked like an angel, or as the ESV puts it, like a son of the gods. And we will see in the next couple of verses, we're given additional information, like their hair wasn't singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Who here has been to a campfire and when they came home or inside, they taught, you tossed your clothes aside. You go back to them later and your clothes reek of smoke. And you weren't even in the fire. You were just sitting next to it. I think any one of us would be astonished. But King Nebuchadnezzar, by his own words, back at verse 15 says, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He thinks himself on par with the gods. This man, this king, is blaspheming God and taunting him. He is putting our God to the test. He believes that he is God. Or if there is a God, he won't stop him. So what is it that Nebuchadnezzar saw that filled him with astonishment, that made him rise up out of his seat confounded? Nebuchadnezzar is trying to put all of what he's seeing into context. He ordered the furnace to be extraordinarily hot. He witnesses his own mighty men die of the heat and smoke, bringing these men to the furnace. Those three men were bound and fully clothed. But yet, what did he see? Nebuchadnezzar saw four people walking around in the furnace, unbound, not hurt, and one of them had the appearance like the son of the gods. The king is astonished. This cannot be happening. He is witnessing a miracle of God. So the question that's on everybody's mind is, who was this fourth person who had the appearance like the son of the gods? Most Bible translations say he had the appearance of the son of the gods, like the ESV. However, the King James Version says, is like the son of God. My reading on this issue has been split. Who, woe, who? Was this fourth person an angel or was it a theophany, a pre-incarnate Christ? The scholars are split on this issue. However, humbly, I'm willing to state 
due to the nature of this situation, that Nebuchadnezzar is making himself out to be a god. He's questioning the sovereignty of God. He is calling into question if there is a god, and that these men are so mightily delivered. I believe this was the pre-incarnate Christ proving his deity and glory. Like other miracles from God, this situation is presented in such a way that the fact that it is a miracle is not in doubt, such as a blind man now sees, or Jesus feeds 5,000 from a couple of small fish and some bread. So the king is rightfully astonished. But is it, is it strange, though? I mean, when a man comes in contact with God, is there any other response? Moses was amazed when he saw a burning bush that was not consumed and that was calling out to him. Even Pharaoh, in Pharaoh's hardened heart, he was amazed at all the plagues that came from God. Peter, when confronted with his sin, was amazed and told Jesus to depart from him. The Jews in Palestine were amazed by Jesus' miracles and teachings, and they followed him around the countryside. This amazement also manifests itself in fear, such as the priests of Baal on the mountain when God sent fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice that Elijah offered, and the countless mentioning when men come in contact with a living God, fall to the ground as if dead. God's glory is nothing like we have ever seen. Are you astonished by the glory of God, his works, and his word? When you think about God creating the world and everything in it, when you think of Jesus' work on the cross, when you think of his eternity, his holiness, his mercy, his goodness, are you not amazed? Are you not humbled? We see the glory of God through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not humbled and astonished by the glory of God, you must ask yourself, are you really saved? When we are confronted head-on by God's glory in the Word through the Holy Spirit, if you are not astonished, I suggest you have not actually seen the glory of God yet. Why do I say that? Because this pagan king, this godless man who considered himself a god, when he was confronted with God, he was astonished. Secondly, verses 26 through 27, we move on to acknowledgement. So verses 26 through 27 reads, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hairs of their head was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. What I want us to pay attention to in these verses is that once Nebuchadnezzar was presented with the facts, he could not help himself. He blurted out, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. You could almost hear those three men saying, could, could you please repeat that? We couldn't quite hear you from inside this furnace. Did you say, servants of the Most High God? Just a couple minutes ago, you said, and I quote, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In the matter of minutes, Nebuchadnezzar went from blaspheming God to acknowledging his supremacy and sovereignty. How does this happen? How does this pagan king come to acknowledge the one true living God? The answer is, he does not have a choice. This is written through all scripture. When man is confronted with the glory of God, there is nothing else that can be said. It is impossible to deny God. The magicians of Egypt, when God sent the plagues of gnats, and it says the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So they were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. If you notice, even in the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, he acknowledges God after the second plague of frogs, even though the magicians could make frogs appear. Exodus chapter 8, 8 says, Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go. Sacrifice to the Lord. And if we look at one New Testament example, let us look at the centurion at the Christ's crucifixion in Matthew's gospel. From Matthew 27, verses 51 to 54, which says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming out of the tombs after the resurrection. They went into the Holy Spirit, into the Holy City, and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him kept watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. As we can see from this small sampling, that when men are presented with the glory of God, there is no denying God. It comes out of our lips involuntarily. So if you've been following me so far, when man is confronted with God's glory, man generally follows a certain progression. First, they are astonished. And second, they confess that God is the one true living God. Up until this point, this has been true for the saint and retrobate alike. However, as we approach the third point, we notice a huge difference. So our third point is adoration from 28 to 30. So we progressed from astonishment to acknowledgement, the next logical step would be adoration or worship. So verse 28 says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel 
and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yet yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. What is the first thing you notice here? King Nebuchadnezzar is confronted with the glory of God and he is amazed by it and he acknowledges God as the most high God. But he does not claim God as his own God. Nebuchadnezzar still deep down has an overwhelming sense of self-love and pride. Later in chapter 4, while Nebuchadnezzar was surveying his city from his palace rooftop, he says the following, Is this not the great Babylon which I built by my mighty power as royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Nebuchadnezzar has not relinquished claim over to God in his life. So Nebuchadnezzar does not worship God. He could acknowledge, but he does not worship. If you know Daniel Daniel at all, it seems that God may have worked in Nebuchadnezzar's life after what can only be called some very weird events. But at the end of chapter 3, the king does not worship the one true living God. I want to briefly show you the divide. We discussed Pharaoh earlier, how he acknowledged God, but due to the hardness of his heart, he does not worship. In contrast, let us look at two individuals from the New Testament, Peter and Paul. First, let us look to Peter. Peter is exhausted from a long night of fishing, having caught nothing. Next thing you know, he's out on his boat again upon Jesus' request and lets down his nets. You will want to notice that in the ESV in Luke 5.9, the word astonished is used. Peter's astonished at the amount of fish that they haul in. The nets were actually breaking At once, Peter acknowledges and worships in the same breath. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We know the rest of the story. Peter has his ups and downs, but he will become a father of the Christian church, and he is martyred for his faith, willing to die for his Savior, to give glory to his God, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The second person is Saul, who is renamed Paul. We know that Saul is persecuting the church. He hates Christ and all Christians. However, we learn in Acts 9 that while on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to Saul. First, Saul is astonished, fearful. We find in verse 4 that he falls to the ground when when he sees the bright light. Second, he acknowledges Jesus as God in verse 5. Then we learn that Paul worships God in verse 27, and we are told that Paul preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So the question that you might be asking at this point is this. If all men, when they're confronted with the glory of God, can be astonished and acknowledge God as the true living God, why does not everyone worship? The answer is, that everyone bows down and worships God when the following criteria are met. 
They recognize they are a sinner, being effectually called by the Word and the Holy Spirit. And that salvation, that salvation, it comes only through Christ Jesus. And this criteria does not always happen in this life, but it always happens. For the elect in Christ, when they're presented with the glory of Christ and the scriptures in conjunction with the work of the Holy Spirit, when they're presented with how they have a Savior who paid for their sins, who is interceding on their behalf, they're astonished at why God loves man so much. They acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and is supreme, and they bow down and worship, giving all praise and glory to the one true living God. They now live for Christ, and they want to see God is glorified at all costs, even at the cost of their own life. For the retrobate, it may seem to us that they do not bow down and worship, or at least that's what it seems. Scripture tells us that all men, including Pharaoh, including Nebuchadnezzar, bows down and worships. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, which we've read this morning. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. In heaven and on earth, And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. However, if your knee is bowing for the first time in the presence of your judge, you are too late. This is why we need to pray that God would send his Holy Spirit to illuminate us to his word and Christ. Today I want you to think about a serious question. You are presented with the glory of God. You are given God's promises written down for you in his holy word. You are given Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who paid the penalty for your sins. You are here today in this building, so you are are acknowledging in at least some way that God is God. But is he your God? Have you acknowledged that this God that you claim to be God has purchased your sins? Are you here to worship? Or are you here for some other reason? I almost regret using Paul as an illustration because I do not want to leave you thinking that you need a road to Damascus event in your life to know these truths. We have the scripture. We have his assurances written down. You are not only invited to believe, but you're commanded to believe. In John 14, 1, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Come and worship the true and living God. Cry out to God to send his Holy Spirit to join you with Christ. It is not enough to say that God is God. God needs to be your God. If you trust in Jesus as your Savior, then this passage is a comfort for a much different reason. 
Daniel 3 ends with Nebuchadnezzar blessing God as the one true living God. This is a comfort to us in our struggle against evil. God is giving us this passage to tell us in the end, every knee will bow. They may resist for a time here on earth, but God is telling us that he has won. We're given this passage so that we take comfort in our sufferings, that God is going to judge the retrobate in his time. All knees will bow and acknowledge Christ as the living Savior, and that the saved will be openly welcomed and acknowledged before him. The glory that we now have in faith will become sight. God is telling us that his justice will be done and that even the most retrobate when in front of the throne of Christ will say, how great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are God and there is no other. You are worthy of all honor and glory. Lord, we are astonished by your work. You created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. We acknowledge that you are the God over all and there is no other to whom we should give this glory. Lord, we pray today that through your word and the Holy Spirit, you would enlighten us that we may worship you as our God, that our astonishment would turn from not just being astonished at your creation, but astonished by your grace and mercy, that you would turn our acknowledgement into praise and joy for the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we behold your glory now through faith in our Savior Jesus Christ. But we long for the day where our faith is turned to sight. In Christ's name alone. Amen.